Thank you for downloading the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast from Seattle to Tokyo and all points throughout history. This is the podcast that talks about Japanese wrestling, American wrestling, and wrestling from the pioneer era all the way up to today. My name is Jim Valley from the Seattle area. I'm a longtime broadcaster, wrestling fan, and I'm doing this thing that I'm very proud of. I get to do a podcast where we head all the way across the Pacific Rim to Tokyo, Japan, to talk to Japan's, in my opinion, the leading journalist and historian in all of Japan. And definitely, he's in the conversation no matter what you think. His name is Fumi Saito. Hey, Fumi. Hello, how are you? Good. So, uh, obviously, a lot of people waiting on this show because the uh, recent death of Leon White at 63 years old. He was uh, a legend in Japan with all he accomplished under the name of Big Van Vader, Super Vader, uh, Vader, however you want to call him, but... uh, Simply Vader, yeah. Simply the man they call Vader. Um, Yeah, even in WWE. When we were preparing this uh, off the air, one of the things that you just told me was that uh, with Leon's passing you have realized that he was a uh, much bigger star than you'd ever realized. I guess because regular newspaper had his obituary and the Yahoo News or, you know, that the media outlet that normally don't follow, you know, follow wrestling or don't put a wrestling news on that uh, his, yeah, obituary was on regular newspaper here. You know, so, wow, you know. The last time we saw that was like when Billy Robinson died or something, you know? So, yes. Um, Yeah, much, much bigger star uh, than I thought. Well, I wouldn't say he wasn't. He was, though, you know? But, uh, yes, in in throughout, you know, late 80s into 90s into 2000s, yes. He, yeah, he was one of the biggest American wrestling superstars in Japan. Have you have you looked at the newspapers? What, according to the the newspapers, the mass media in Japan, are they saying that he's most well known for? How is he being remembered in a mainstream way? Um, he was, um, yeah, he was a star of wrestling show when it was in on, on network um, network channels, and also he worked New Japan, UWFI, Old Japan. Pro Wrestling Noor and some independent, and he came back last year for Fujinami's tradition show for one last time. Very symbolic. You know? Yeah. Now, and also, he had a legendary match against Stan Hansen in Tokyo Dome back in 1990. Now, is that his yeah. most famous match in Japan? Uh, I cannot say, you know, what, uh, which was uh, the most famous match that the debut or Big Van Vader, 1987, December 27th, you know, that uh, very historical show that uh, there was a riot in the building and people for fire, <laughs> you know, uh, at the Sumo Palace, you know, and people were so mad at Inoki and so mad at New Japan that, that you know, they put, I mean, as, as you know, uh, what, how can I put it? You know, Japanese wrestling fans are polite, right? And right. Sometimes they get so angry, they put fire on the, the building, you know? And uh, as the energy was there, that uh, 
1987, there was a big, huge angle for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, th there was a program, one of the biggest comedians in Japan, um, Takeshi, um, Takeshi Kitano, beat Takeshi. And he was, he's also a real famous movie director. He was going to put a wrestling um, um, group, like uh, you are, what do you call it? Uh, fact, you know, like a, like a stable. faction together. Yeah. yeah, stable together. And he had this hidden weapon, you know, in Big Van Vader. Nobody knew who he was. Oh, obviously a new character, you know, under the mask, you know. And uh, he came and to, you know, his wrestling show at the small palace, you know, just once, you know, but uh, he brought a new superstar, Big Van Vader, debuting tonight. And actually, people did not want that. That night, people wanted to see Inoki against Ricky Choshu in single serious single match. You know, and then wanted to see Choshu beat Antonio Inoki for the first time. You know, one, two, three in the middle of the ring. It, it didn't happen. See, nobody beat Inoki for about a 15-year period. Right. You know he what I'm was, saying? He's bigger than Hulk Hogan in Japan in that regard. I, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, really hard yeah. to beat him. Yeah, very hard. And also, like in, in, in 1985... Inoki and Bruiser Brody had six single match in one year period, okay? All big shows, you know, Sumo Palace, the Tokyo Gymnasium, the Osaka Castle Hall, the Sapporo, the, all these big, you know, big huge houses. They had single match program. Six single matches in one year, not one match had finished. Still did business. Is that incredible? That is amazing when you think about... Yeah what fans yeah. want with clean finishes and things especially today but yeah yeah and then also what's amazing was the uh, inoki uh did not beat brody but the brody didn't get beat either so there was no finish see it's hard to beat brody too though right brody does not do jobs right not much yeah probably like a, two clean finishes in of 15 years he was in Japan, you know? But uh, yeah, thing is though, Big Van Vader debuted in 1987, December 27th at Sumo Palace. Big Van Vader against Inoki, okay? Very big main event. In debut match of Leon White as a Big Van Vader, he beat Inoki clean in the middle of the ring in two minute match. Ooh, right? Nobody debuted that way. But the people are so mad that they start throwing things in into the ring, and it's like a go home, and they don't want to see this, and all these things, and big chant, and they put up fire in the building at the end, riot. Well, you know? I've I've been to Sumo Hall, and on the floor, yeah. um, instead of yeah, traditional, you have to sit. Um, yeah, you've got yeah. to sit cross-legged. They've got like um, it's cordoned off by rails. And you've got these uh, rectangles on the floor that are cordoned off, and there's room for like four people to sit inside each rectangle. Little box. Yes, each little uh -huh. box, and you uh -huh. get a, a cushion, you get a pillow to sit on. Sure, sure. And um, I didn't get to sit down there. You're not I got supposed to, sit up to the throw those cushions. And, right, and yeah. fans threw the cushions because they were upset. You're not about, supposed to. 
So, yeah. you know, I've always had questions about this because it was years later when I when I finally got to see this, um, yeah. and I've I've never understood. You know, Japanese wrestling always seemed to be more in tune with what fans wanted and was very yeah. good at delivering it traditionally, especially in this era. Why go yeah. through the Ricky Choshu match the way they did? And why not? Does it didn't it wouldn't it have more impact to have Vader debut, you know, as himself, um, you know, without following a, a major match like that? It just seemed the, the booking seemed so contradictory to other things that Japan normally does. Probably it was a time that the Inoki's miscalculating things, you know, like started miscalculating, you know, like what Inoki come up with, people buy it, right? It was like that for years. But 1987, Inoki started miscalculating things for the first time, a little bit. And uh, they went along with people's idea. And then uh, that night, actually, Inoki ended up wrestling twice. They did Inoki against Choshu single match. Then they did Inoki against Vader single match. Gave people both, you know. And Inoki ended up beating Ricky Choshu. People did not like that. Then they brought in Big Van Vader for one more main event. Then Vader beat him, beat Inoki, you know, in a two-minute match. Oh, my gosh, this guy beat Inoki like nothing, you know, like an avalanche power slam, boom, one, two, three, Inoki laid there. So Inoki challenged people somewhat, you know? Look what I give you, kind of thing. Hey, let me ask you one more question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the late-night talk shows, Take what's his name, Takeshi? Takeshi, yeah, yeah. Why did he come in as a heel if he's this big, famous celebrity? That seems odd, too. That always Challenging Inoki. Challenging Inoki. Star. Yeah. Because the big yeah. star has got to work with the big star. I guess so, yeah. And he was, there was a news, news value to it. All the commercial magazine and, you know, the entertainment type magazine, tabloid kind of magazine, not wrestling media, but the entertainment media all came and took pictures, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And the, but the New Japan had to come up with a real wrestler to do that role, you know? Who is Vic Van Vader, right? You have to put somebody under that costume. That's where Masa Saito comes in. Masa Saito recruited Leon White, okay? There were three wrestlers, three candidates to become Big Van Vader in 1987. Three guys. There were candidates, okay? One at the time was Dingo Warrior Jim Helwig, okay, from Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, and this Are is before, me? yeah, this is, the, like you mentioned, he's still working in Dallas in 1987. As a Dingo Warrior. As the Dingo Warrior with Gary Hart yeah. and Yvonne Eriks and such. Yeah, New Japan and, da and Dallas World Class had business deal. And a lot of the Dallas guys were making tours. And they thought they could make this Dingo Warrior guy uh, into Big Van Vader, okay? But he signed with WWF at the same time. So he, he chose WWF 
and he became ultimate warrior which was probably so, the best it, decision for him sure yeah i guess so yeah but hindsight if he came to japan that year and be big van vader there wasn't going to be ultimate warrior at all i know that dave Meltzer believes that warrior probably would have flamed out in japan that he just didn't have the skills to be a lasting star in japan do you do do you agree with that you put wrestler in certain situation and this wrestler may improve because at the time december of 1987 big van vader leon white wasn't all that good either you know what i'm saying right he was just two-year rookie you know yeah just the um he was see, later on like two or three years later he became best big man in business by working 120 matches a year in japan you know he actually became really good you know but uh uh jim helwig could have done that too maybe you know but maybe Meltzer is right that uh, that guy was not made for that you know this market here you know but uh that is something that we can debate for a long time you know because you never know you know that uh, you bring in a person and you start working here, here in Japan and then the working, you know, you get the, you know, Japanese style, you know, and then uh, it might become really, really good. I don't know, you know, you never know. But he chose WWF, you know, at the time. And he, you know, he went over there, you know. Didn't really, really study Japanese market probably. But the second candidate was Brian Adams. The Crush. Crush. You know? Who, uh, yeah, at the, who was wrestling. Brian in, Adams. Who was re- I saw him in Portland. I saw virtually. Yeah, yeah, after I, New Japan. I saw yeah. virtually all of his career. So what was, was Brian Adams still he, training at that point in New Japan Dojo? Yes, yes. There were the three Americans living in Dojo at the time. At the time. Chris Benoit, okay. And Daryl Peterson, Man Mountain Rock later on, you know. Daryl Peterson. Right. And Brian Adams. Brian Adams, you know, spoke some Japanese. He was uh, a Navy, uh, uh, army guy stationed in Yokota Tachikawa base in Tokyo. He was living here like uh, three years prior to that. And then he had a girlfriend here and everything, you know. And then they wanted to stay in Japan and wanted to be, be a wrestler. And he, you know, came to New Japan Dojo and became Dojo student. So he was, was kind of promising candidate, you know, that this guy will work Japan full time, you know, and uh, American big guy. But he wasn't quite ready, you know. And a uh, strong push came from New- the, the Masa Saito. No, I got the guy. I got the guy. This guy is called uh, Bow Power. At the time, Leon White was working for Arno Vance in Europe already had CWA World Heavyweight you know, title. Arrow Vance loved him. Same kind of size, same kind of big guy. And, uh, and Arrow Vance really liked him, you know. Uh, Vern Gagne sent him to Europe, you know, rookie, but uh, Arrow Vance knew how to use him. See, 1985, he debuted with, uh, with AWA trained by Brad Reagans, you know? Brad Reagans don't just take any students. No. Like wrestling, wrestling school, you know? He only trains people who is, has, already has a job, 
you know, who already has a position in certain company, you know, like uh, Tony Holm, Don Fry, you know, Scott Norton, um, oh, Brock Lesnar, you know, they own that, uh, oh, uh, JBL. See, he trains big guys who already has job lined up, you know, job meaning at the, you know, the position lined up. And then he trains guys three months to kind of you know, blush up and, uh, and kind of, you know, make him ready to go, you know, go different place and you start working right away, you know? So he, he only trains people like Don Fry and, you know, Tony Holm, you know, Ludovic Volga later on, right? Um, yeah. Uh, Scott Norton, yeah. Th- those guys are only trained, you know, by Brad Reagans. And Leon White was already 30 years old when he started wrestling because he had an NFL career, you know? And uh, this might be a um, real useless trivia, but he came to Japan back in like 1978, 79, uh, as a college football or American superstar, and he played for rice ball, rice ball, you know. And uh, so he had a strong wrestling, uh, athletic football career before wrestling. And one more useless trivia is though, 1985, AWA was already a sinking boat. Notice that. Yeah, yeah, and what was interesting is though, in in Leon White's rookie year in 1985, he had single match against guys like Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody in AWA ring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, had he started say in Crockett, which you know he wouldn't have, or WWF, you know he would have not have had those opportunities. But because the AWA was so desperate for talent. He was put in a position, time, yeah. and he probably, you know, had the proverbial sink or swim. Yeah, and also people like Stan and Bruiser Brody wouldn't work with smaller wrestlers. If he, this guy has the right size, I'll have a match with you kind of guy, you know, kind of thing. And it was interesting that uh, without realizing how important that was, Leon had single match against Bruiser Brody, had single match against Stan Hansen before he was ready. But it kind of did something to him though that uh, the way he looked at the business you know now that the nature of wrestling business is pretty much open you know that discussed pretty openly today you know like how you put together a match and how you know you have a you know, finished going to the match and you know you 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 work you know but uh most people think that uh, if you have finished, and this is a sports entertainment, it's all show business that uh, anybody can put anybody over, right? But that's not true to, for Stan and Bruce Brody. If he, you see, this is a work, of course. It's a work, not shoot. But because it's work, I still don't lose a match. No, notice that? The difference between, like, you, you put... You know, anybody can put anybody over, you know, if you're a booker, you know, like, you you know, win and lose. But Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen's mentality, yeah, it's a work. Yeah, but I still won't lose job. I mean, I won't lose, lose a match. And I think Leon, you know, learned something, some of those mentality from Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody real early in his career. Winning is still important in wrestling. 
So one you know of the things, yeah, one of the things that kind of surprised me was that Ma, when you said that he was discovered by Masa Saito, I figured he was discovered, yeah. you know, in the AWA because Saito was was in and out at the time. But you say he was discovered by Saito with uh, working with Ottavans. Uh, not not that, but the uh, the recommendation from Otto and recommendation from Brad Reagans. This guy is a perfect candidate. Okay. And and Masa and and Taiga Hattori you know, the referee and also uh, working for the office, they actually flew to Germany and met with Leon White and explained what the deal is. And, uh, yeah, you have full-time position with New Japan Pro Wrestling starting 1988. And debut date was 1987, December 27th, the, the match we just talked about. And he wasn't quite ready. But starting January tour of 1988, Bam Bam Bigaro started working full time with New Japan. Then, six months time, he actually gotten so much better, you know, that uh, I was not so sure because, you know, that the Big Van Vader character was going to look like, have a have a Ultimate Warrior type body, right? But Leon White doesn't. Bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a bodybuilder type with that big, huge thing, you know, on, on your head and the smoke come out and all those cartoonish things. It was perfect, you know. But uh, Leon had more of a, like a big guy body, right? But uh, Masa knew, no, this guy can do it. This guy can do it. And I wasn't sure because he was not even not that good at the time. But uh, after two or three tours, I realized this guy can improve and he will be the most believable, you know, American wrestler to be, you know, big guy, big guy working a serious, real uh, hard hitting, you know, wrestling style, you know, and uh, yeah, he's now, gotten you, so much better in one year. You yeah. were there the night that he debuted. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was standing in the alley and he witnessed all the riot too. <laughs> so what was going through <laughs> your mind as that was happening? I didn't think they, you know, Big Van Vader was going to be as big of a star as they thought they would. Because, oh, God, this guy, oh, the masked guy, big guy, though. But uh, obviously, Bam Bam Bigger was better worker back at the time, you know? And, uh, yeah, but they both worked all Japan, pretty much full-time basis, you know? Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, Big Van Vader, Steve Williams still working, you know, with New Japan. And then a they, they, little bit later on, they brought in people like Scott Norton, another big, huge guy does who does Japanese style, you know? And, uh, but the Masa was so sure, and the Masa was sure about it. You, you watch, you know, so you don't know what you're talking about. You'll be good. And he was right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, then what he, was your? Yeah, what, then he. Yeah. So when you when you saw him, did you did you was there any uh, post match um, press conference or anything that night? Yeah, yeah, we they were giving, but uh, it was so uh, controlled that uh, you know they wouldn't let Vader do the uh, interview without much of a scripting. You know what I'm saying? Some wrestlers who can just sit and start talking, do give interview like your sport interview, right? But uh, Big Van Vader character was so protected that uh, you're not supposed to be giving interviews. 
okay, you give interview because we have what to say, you know, <laughs> you know. So, uh, <clears throat> yes, it was not there was not much freedom to it, you know, because it was so controlled, you know, by the company. Because that's uh, your golden, you know, just superstar to be made character, right? And uh, it was very well protected. He had worked New Japan like that for five year period, very strong. You had a single program, single match program against Inoki, Ricky Choshu, Fujinami. Then uh, two years, a couple years later, Muto, Hashimoto, Chono. They, he had single match program with all of them, and also had a single match against people like the Kitao. You know, the former grand champion sumo wrestler who turned professional wrestler. Vera had single match against Kitao, and he ate him. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I realized this guy is really something, you know? How long did it take the fans to go from rioting, being upset, to seeing him as the real deal, seeing Vader as the real deal? Oh, probably a year or a little longer. Starting January, January of 1988, um, Big Van Vader started working for New Japan pretty much full-time, full-time basis. Every tour he was on, you know? And he was being put over too, you know, like he never got beat, you know. But uh, uh, two-year period, that was good. And also, I think that the February 1990 Tokyo Dome show, Big Van Vader against Stan Hansen was a big, big turning point too. Everybody, I'm sure the people who listen to our program will, you know, have already watched it, you know. Right. That uh, Stan Hansen against, oh, big, huge, probably not if not the biggest superstar ever in American superstar in Japanese wrestling history. He's yeah, very, very, very top, right? And still in prime too. And uh, Stan coming from all Japan and for the guest appearance and it was a Tokyo Dome, very special situation, and single match against New Japan's top Gaijin, Stan against you know and they had a good matching size too. Six five, six six, both of them two eighty to three hundred pound. They go just just went against each other. This <laughs> huge matchup, and also it was not traditional American style. It was more of Japanese style. Two big American was doing. They pounding on each other, right? It was actually a potato and receipt situation that. The, um, Vader start pounding on, you know, Stan Hansen pretty bad. Then uh, Stan Hansen gave him a receipt right away, punch him, you know, punch him in the face with his closed fist, and his uh, his eye got swollen up huge, right? The he Vader couldn't see it, so he pulled his mask off. It was not was not the planned spot. He couldn't see it, right, you know, with the mask. So he actually took mask off. Then a big screen at the Tokyo Dome, you know, that uh, those video vision, the big screen, they had the up-close face of Big Bam Beta with all <laughs> swollen up eye. Then uh, they realized, oh, this is like serious fight. And uh, they went right back to working right away so see there was a potato and there was a receipt and, and then uh 
you don't fight no more. It's more of a professional, you know, attitude that the we'll, we go on and finish the match. And uh, it was double count out. People hate double count out, but uh, if they had that kind of match for 20 minutes, yeah, I guess uh, people can live with double count out. You know what I'm saying? It was very historical, historical match. And also put better onto Stan's level. You know, this guy is like a top American now. Yeah. And works in New Japan for five-year period. Then he went to, um, between Jap you know, New Japan tour, he went to Mexico and beat Can you know, Connect and became UWA World Heavyweight Champion. Um, the reason I'm pointing this out is that he won the CWA out of once your you know your version of World Heavyweight Title, right? And he won IWGP World Heavyweight Championship three times for New Japan. Then went to Mexico and beat Kanek for UWA World Heavyweight Title. And then he's um, something happened and uh, he left New Japan and he went to WCW. He beat. People like Ric Flair, and, uh, Leon, uh, Ron Simmons for the title, and even had a title match program with people like Ric Flair, and ended up winning WCW World Heavyweight Title for three times. He even had program against people like Sting, and uh, on paper, Sting against Vader, that wouldn't be a very good match, right? Agreed, yeah. I think on paper, on paper. you're like, on this paper. seems like a clash of styles, and not only yeah, a clash of styles, yeah. but a clash of wrestling philosophies. Well, personally, yeah. personality, too. But, I mean, yeah, you know, Sting too. was very much an American, you know, light, sort of that Showtime style. Sure. Uh, you know, just, you know, do what you got to do get, uh, to get through the match, but Vader was, you know, a tank. So. Yeah, you could, you could almost see Vader against Cactus Jack. That yeah. could be good, you know what I'm saying? But uh, sometimes chemistry does funny things, and all the Sting Vader match were pretty good, don't you think? Yeah, you know, it's a lot better than you thought. You know, I think um, not. I think not to a major degree, but I think that standing toe to toe with Hanson sort of gave Sting a little bit of a tougher image. Sure. As opposed sure. to just a strictly kind of a semi high flying pretty boy. Actually, pretty big body too, but uh, not as good, right? Yeah, leaner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but plus, Sting in his prime time, he never was your best worker in business. You no, Sting was Sting was all about business. He wanted to, you know, just do what he needed to do, not injure himself, make money, and uh, you know, get out. Plus, still good performer. Yeah, good performer. But not best. But not exciting. Not yeah. that exciting. I mean, those house shows in the '90s before Vader got in were pretty unremarkable. Right. He right. would get up for pay per views, but that was that was about it. You know, so when you have like a very programmed match, Sting against Ric Flair or something, you have move by move, you know, like minute by minute, you know what you're doing, so the match will be better than average. But this spontaneous, almost looking match, Sting, you know, match between Sting and Vader, they somehow, somewhat had good matches. And WCW wasn't so sure about it, but they ended up giving Vader belts, right? And uh, 
funny thing was though, while he was WCW World Heavyweight Champion, UWF, you know, UWF International, you call it UWFI, right? Right. Japanese company wanted to sign Vader. UWF style? Oh my gosh. It's like a, your best work shoot style, right? And, uh, but they wanted Vader because he was most convincing big man that the, that the wrestling can offer. And, uh, so, real quick, for, for those who don't know, people thought that yeah. that was real, that UWFI, you know, they promoted it as, oh. this is 100% real. Yeah, but it's like, just the, they didn't, the, the, the word MMA wasn't even invented yet at the time, 19, right. 1993, you know, that uh, they were saying like a no holds barred or something. And then uh, they were the closest thing to shoot, right? But it was work. Yeah, of course. It's still professional wrestling. But uh, UWFI people wanted Vader. Why? They wanted to have a match. Nobuhiko Takada against Vader. Real big card. You know? And uh, to make a long story short, he came to Japan. Oh, actually, UWFI people flew themselves to Atlanta and at the CNN Center, they sign a contract there you know and uh takayama was there actually you know because he was traveling and also was you know he was on on his way to you know to memphis tennessee to uh, nashville tennessee to, you know to be trained with billy robinson and people like that and see uwfi had dojo in nashville at the time you know and uh but they weren't vader couldn't use Big Van Vader name, so they named him Super Vader this time for UWFI. Right, because the Big Van Vader name, Big Van, was trademarked. I think so, yeah. And you can't touch and, but, Vader because that belongs to Lucas. Yeah, yeah. So Super Vader, yeah. But uh, how much how much the, attention did this get? How big of a deal was it when he jumped to UWFI? Oh, it was a real big deal too, because. People wanted to test, you know, in, in the back of their head, UWFI, uh, the closest thing to the real fight, right? Put Takada into situation in the ring with somebody like Vader. Does that work still? I mean, the body, in the size of the body, or does this, you know, your realistic wrestling move, legitimate submission hold, all those things. Would it work against big, huge American like Vader? And the Vader was a student of the business, you know, wrestling too. When he came to UWFI, first thing Vader said to office was that it was very interesting. Do a couple things for me. Make a videotape of each and every one of them, you know, the on, on t- the single match, long single match videotape. Takara, Yamazaki, you know, everybody, single match video on video, give it to me. He's gonna, t- you know, he was going to take this videotape home and study it. And also buy me a stationary bike and put that in the building every time we come come in. This is how he does the, his warm-up. See, he always had, the Vader always had bad knees, you know? So he doesn't run, okay? He doesn't even do the 
Japanese squats because he's a real he's heavy, right? He's bad for his knees. Well, in football he, career too, I'm sure. Yeah, that too. Yeah, what he does is he got, got you know he is you know sit on a stationary bike and does 40 minutes real fast. You know what I mean? That's what you know. That's his training. Um, at, back uh, at home in Colorado, he had the big trampoline in back of his house. He, that's when, when he, tra- you know, where he trains you know, on trampoline, the conditioning. You know, it's a, he doesn't run, he doesn't do squat, but you know, for his cardio exercise, he was using trampoline. It, later on, it worked for his moonsault move you know, because of trampolines, you know, uh, training. You know, we didn't know about that at the time, but uh, he uses stationary bike and trampoline. Interesting, huh? For his, for for his cardio um, uh, that uh, conditioning. Anyway, that uh, so UWFI office bought his custom bought him custom made stationary bike. You know, yeah, and gave him all the videotapes to study. He went home and studied Takada's match. You know, all the UWF style match. And when he came back, he could work UWF style. You know how to how to block all the kicks, how to block your karate thrust. You know all those things. Wow, Vader can do this, and then the people realize Vader is very special. You know, and also how to sing. There was a single match, um, like Vader against guys like Gary Albright, two big guys, right? And uh, later on, they meet again for in, in all Japan ring too. But uh, actually, Vader pretty much fit in right into UWF style. He was surprised. But uh, he ended up getting, uh, ended up beating Nobuhiko Takada for their pro wrestling world heavyweight title. We called, we called it Luthes belt. Remember that Luthes belt he right. had? So he already won the you know, IWGP title, you know, world heavyweight title, WCW world heavyweight title, Mexico's world heavyweight title, Arovan's world heavyweight title. So this guy is world heavyweight champion. And, you know, every little, in every place he went. And uh, yeah, it was very interesting, you know. That, that, so, so Takada, yeah. Um, they had the baseball stadium show too, you know. And uh, he, you know, for, for a short period of time, he was WCW World Heavyweight Champion and UWFI's World Heavyweight Champion at the same time in two different places. Nobody had done that. Now, he signed a really big money deal at the time with UWFI. Yeah, yeah. And also, they only have one match a month, you know. So one match... <laughs> guarantee money was a lot bigger than WCW at the time. See, if you sign, you know, you, if you're under contracts to WCW, you work pretty much full-time schedule, right? But with UWFI, you go over there once a month, have one match, and come back. That's it. Big pay, right? But also, for Leon's mentality, it is important to win. Well, some people say he is a mark for himself, but... Uh, some some of his old-fashioned in that way, you know, that uh, if you're a big star, you shouldn't be losing. Very Brody-like mentality. Well, I think, I think you make a great point about he kind of started working against Brody and Stan Hansen and probably learned from that. I would guess yeah. also, you know, starting in 85, the era of the big men, 
where again yeah. you had to do a lot to, even more to, to beat a big guy because big guys were seen as automatically the toughest and probably coming from real sports i would think probably a lot of those things in the background yeah, yeah contributed so i to wouldn't be attitude. just losing to anybody yeah right yeah and anything that can happen in the ring something goes wrong that guy can handle himself it's real old-fashioned mentality yeah. probably the last guy who did that you know because any wrestler superstar who's on under contract with WWE or WCW, they are controlled under the Vince McMahon guidance or company guidance or the corporate, you know, real corporate structure. Um, the Leon White was more independent from that, you know. Yeah. Um, and, he uh, also uh, formed a tag team for a while with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. They were fairly popular. yeah, it's almost pretty much like. A, <laughs> You know, every tour, you know, um, in Japanese, you know, tour, you know, New Japan, Old Japan, pretty much same system. You have a three-week tour, four-week tour, right? With like, a, you know, 25 nights, 30 nights. 25 to 30 nights out of, you know, out of those, you know, the, the dates, you are working tag team matches. And, and only one or two matches, you know, important, you know, like a big date, you have a single match, like a title match. But night after night, you know, your spot show to a local show to a, you know, country shows, whatever, you have usually tag team. And the Bam Bam Bigelow was always um, Vader's partner. And he was like Vader, Leon, they always call him, you know, I hated Leon something. But Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow was like an analog records side A and side B, you know what I'm saying? That uh, Vera will always be put over. And Bam Bam Bigelow might be better worker, but uh, he will be doing jobs, you know what I'm saying? And Bigelow was not happy, you know, either, you know? But the company always pointed at Bigelow, okay, you'll be doing that. Then uh, I guess he can, you know what I'm saying? Now they, and, uh, you were mentioning they they weren't the best of friends, Bigelow and Vader. They were well, probably Leon didn't have much opinion on it, but uh, um, Bam Bam Bigelow was very vocal about it. You know, you know how much I hate Leon. You know that. So, but he's always here, and he sit. You know, then you travel together, being on the bus for hours and hours, and not a word is spoken. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sometimes they have a seven-hour bus ride, not a word is spoken. And uh, you know, Bigelow was more of a hip guy. You know, he always had a. Uh, probably young people don't know, but Walkman. You know. Right. Do they have Walkman still in this day and age? They're no. pretty much antiques, but I mean, you know, it's essentially <laughs> a, you know a small device for listening to your music you know tapes or whatever. yeah the, at the time it was cassette tapes yeah <laughs> you know but the bigelow had the huge collection of cassette tapes you know from youtube from to your you know favorite music even you know the, the old 80s music he had all the cassette tapes he was listening to music you know so he doesn't have to talk to anybody you know but uh but they had to be together so long so many days so many nights and you pretty much stay in the same hotel 
you probably eat out together after the match, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Japan. And just they had to spend a lot of time together, you know. And uh, Bigelow wasn't really happy or something, you know, because obviously company placed Vader above Big Bigelow, right? Because both guys are equally talented, same kind size, and uh, probably um, as an as an as a gymnast, um, Bigelow was a little bit better, you know. But right. uh, Vader was more believable, and a little bit more hard hitting, and also he was always ready to say no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. When the time comes, yeah, he, he was ready to say, no, no, I ain't putting anybody over. You know what I'm saying? And then the bigger old ended up doing a lot, a lot of jobs, you know? And uh, he was telling people, I ain't doing no more jobs. I ain't doing no more jobs. But uh, Leon was able to do so, but the bigger old ended up doing a lot of jobs. That this made him kind of start, you know, why this way, right? But uh, yeah, but they were together many years, so we probably we don't know about you know those you know they had special relationship or something, right? Yeah, not a best friend, but uh, they were there, you know, and they had each other for like a period of time, and uh, so they may maybe maybe they're friends, you know, they were friends, but it's not like they loved each other, they hated each other just as much, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Who was uh, Leon friends with? Like, obviously, Stan Hansen. Yeah, but they didn't work together, you know, but until later on, yeah. you know. Okay, we'll go back to the, the, the track. After uh, after UWFI, Vader went back to New Japan one more match and had Tokyo Dome Inoki match, remember? Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, it was Inoki himself who wanted Vader back for one night he because Inoki wanted to have a single match against Vader at the Tokyo Dome at the very end of his wrestling career. And the, the, Inoki's the, career. Yeah, Inoki's career. And they told Vader to work, you know, strong, stiff style. And Vader threw Inoki with this devastating-looking German suplex, and people thought he killed Inoki, you know? Uh, there's, there's a bit of videotape out there in the Tokyo 1998 um, Tokyo Dome single match Vader against Inoki, a real devastating. That uh, probably one of the Inoki's last good matches, you know, and uh, he needed Vader to do so, you know. And then he went to went signed with WWE, you know, and WWF at the time, you know, and. Uh, Vera was really conscious about, um, the, the, let me put it this way. Um, see, there was like a SummerSlam main event, Vader against Shawn Michaels, right? Remember? Oh, One yeah. One summer? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, when, when he came, when he, after he quit, you know, WWE and they came to old Japan, he and I sat and I did the interviews, you know, Leon again. And uh, he, the Vader, Leon was so concerned that did the videotape with this WWE come to Japan? Of course people watch, you know, you know, that uh, he was so concerned that uh, with Shawn Michaels switching music, boom, he hit, hit, hit Vader 
in Vader, lay there, you know, lay there for one, two, three. Not just one night. They did that for every single house show, right? At the time. And, uh, right, Vader and it probably was... looked, given how hard it was to beat Vader in Japan, for him to get beat by a simple super kick night after night after night would probably look yeah, bad then, in uh, he, then he wanted to know if those videotapes came to Japan. Of course, people already watched it. It was the beginning of our, you know, you know, like a Sky Perfect TV. You know, Sky Perfect TV is a satellite dish with 300 channels, and uh, you know, like satellite dish, and it was your cable package, and WWE, all the WWE programming start airing in Japan, like you know, your Monday Night Raw, all the way to like a Sunday Night Heat or Metal. What's the B shows at the time? Um, uh, yeah, was it, uh, what would it be, like, <laughs> WWE? Well, it, they were kind of changing everything back then. I mean, you had, like, Shotgun Saturday Night, I Saturday think. Saturday Night, yeah. yeah. I don't know, Superstars, Sunday I guess, night was heat. still, I don't, they were, it was, they changed a lot of things back then. Yeah, but there was a prime show. There, see, yeah. SmackDown wouldn't start until 1999. Well, you still had Raw. uh, I saw Vader leading up to uh, SummerSlam when they were here in Seattle in 96. Um, I saw the go-home show, I think it was, for for SummerSlam and the build to uh, Vader and Shawn Michaels. Yeah, okay. Um, Go back to what what we were talking about a minute ago. That Leon asked me, um, did that videotape come to Japan? I said, yes. Did people watch it? Yeah, I guess so. The hardcore fans, at least. Um, okay. Okay, they know that. So, so you can't hide it, you know? Okay, let's, let, let me put it this way, and you write that down in the, your magazine. WWE, WWF at the time. WWF is pure entertainment, okay? Pure entertainment, and I did just that. That was the way he wanted to protect his image and the reputation and... The, you know, because he took it so seriously, right? And uh, there was a time, 1998, Giant Baba's Old Japan uh, had their first Tokyo Dome show, okay? Tokyo Dome show. And Baba was going to bring in a group of WWE superstars, WWF superstars at, at, at the time. And they wanted to bring in people like Undertaker or Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Bret Hart, you know, all those people. But Baba realized, but paying these WWE superstar X, X amount of money, how would people like Stan Hansen, Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, Johnny Ace, all these regular Americans who work here full time? Baba couldn't pay. WWE superstars more than this regular loyal American regular under contract guys, you know. So Baba ended up choosing one wrestler from WWF. That was Vader. Not much of a WWE superstar, but uh, at the time he was WWE superstar. Okay. So uh, uh, Baba wanted to bring in Vader to Tokyo Dome show. As uh, as your WWF superstar, and it was a Victor Quinones, late late Victor Quinones, who made a phone call from uh, um, Capital Tokyo Hotel in Japan. You know, at the time there was a payphone with that a telephone card that you can make international phone international phone call from your phone booth 
he called America, Victor Quinones called America from the hotel on the payphone and then booked Vader to all Japan. Then uh, after Baba's Tokyo Dome show in 1998, Vader ended up quitting WWF and signed with all Japan. Now he worked all Japan, New Japan, UWFI. Now he's signed with all Japan Pro Wrestling. So he, you know, so he had a new job, new place, new position with you know another Japanese company, and uh, he started working full time for, pretty much full time for all Japan, from from that point forward. And then, um, 1998, you know, December's real World Tag Team Tournament, you know, annual, you know, every year there's an annual tag team tournament for all Japan, right? 1998, they put Stan Hansen and Vader together as a tag team. Who could beat them? Right? But it was, Stan realized it was the beginning of the end of his career, right? 1998 into 1999. And I think Stan was always planning on retiring at year 2000. You know, so it was time for Stan to give Vader his position, and uh, yeah, uh, the, the final of 1998 Real World Tag Team Tournament for All Japan was Stan Vader against Misawa and Kobashi. That sounds like a money match, right? Oh yeah, 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 and uh, Vader became All Japan's you know regular, you know. Now he and was the winning triple crown. Yeah, he was fairly old at the time. Um, why did uh, Baba decide to to go with Vader? And and also, you know, you talked about the the interviews you did with Vader. Um, did how how much did people see of his kind of failed WWF run at the time? Did it affect um, anything coming into All Japan? I thought it would affect, but actually. Not every Japanese wrestling fan follow WWE programming, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, what you see on Japanese television will pretty much fix it. Because it is, it is, when Vader came back, it's same, you know, same Vader, strong Vader as always been, you know? And uh, having been a tag team, you know, partner of Stan Hansen, you already have pretty much top position. And this time, Vader can have single match program against people like Misawa, Kobashi, Kawada, Taue, even Akiyama, you know, uh, or against Stan or uh, any regular Americans. And and Gary O'Brien at the time, you know, um, signed with All Japan, and uh, it was a new programming. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm with you. So, what do you think? Yeah. How how successful was his Triple Crown run? Do you think? Very successful. It's made him uh, for Japanese wrestling fans' eyes. The this guy did the uh, Grand Slam, 
You know, he he was three-time IWGP you know champion for New Japan. He even beat Takada for UWFI's World Heavyweight Champion. There was a news that he won WCW World Heavyweight Title and had a program with people like Stan, uh, Flair and Sting, you know, big name. Then came back and he beat Misawa for Triple Crown. And this guy is a, is a Grand Slam, you know, winner. And uh, the position is very secure, you know. And he works extra hard when you work Japanese match. Yeah. And uh, so this guy is a Grand Slam champion, you know. Then Vader ended up working all the way through year 2000. Then when Misawa and his people left all Japan, Misawa wanted two guys, Vader and Scorpio. Those two Americans are going to be with us, you know. Then he, uh, after Baba died in 1999, the Vader worked through in 1999, but the year 2000, when Misawa and his guys, you know, pretty much all together quit all Japan and left Mrs. Baba and, you know, formed the um, Wrestling Noah. Pro wrestling Noah. See, pro wrestling. The, the the meaning of pro wrestling Noah is Norzak. You know, you know what I'm saying? You get on a new boat and leave the country. You know, all the way to your ring announcer, to your ring crew, to referee, to to your monkeys and everybody. You know, it's a Norzak, and uh, Vera was part of the boat. You know, and. Uh, the only thing he uh, really regret was that, see, he won all the world heavyweight t- titles in the world, and he did not become WWF champion. It was the only thing he really regret, you know. And uh, he did not actually become GHC champion either, you know. Um, but uh, it was Vader's idea that uh, see, Misawa did not want to have his world heavyweight title like something WF or something WA or some PWF, you know, this is like a traditional wrestling company always had W in the middle, right? Or A or F. Does it make sense? Yep. And uh, Misawa wanted to have some very unique name. What? Could this, you know, rest pro wrestling Noah's new, you know, newly crowned world heavyweight title be? And it was actually Vader's idea to have GHC, Global Honored Crown. All right, nobody has that kind of name. So GHC title became their world heavyweight title. It was actually Vader's idea. So he had some fingerprint on it. He did not become GHC champion, no. Um, but uh, yes, GHC title had a very unique sound, right? Yeah, but I mean, there's yeah. so many interesting title names and creative oh, ideas. Oh, now it's yeah, yeah, like a Ring of Honor and all those things now. But stardom. it was before that. Yeah, now it is. Yeah, but uh, Misawa was playing with the idea that um, his world, in a new heavyweight, in a world heavyweight title, does not want to, you know, sound like an old one, you know. And uh, GHC heavyweight title, to this date, that's their heavyweight title, you know? Yeah. And uh, there was Vader's fingerprint on it, you know? Well, so I'm it, pretty um, sure, the, yeah. They did, a, uh, they did a memorial in the ring, uh, Marafuchi did, with uh, <clears throat> with uh, Vader's picture the other night at a Noah show, I understand. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tengang salute, yes. Because he was pro wrestling, no one's superstar, you know? And uh, they honored that, yeah. Now, did, did do you know if All Japan did, or I don't know the New Japan did? Uh, New Japan did not do it. Or hasn't had the, it's like they haven't had the big show, you know, in yeah. Tokyo. And also, today's New, New Japan and 1980s New Japan is like almost like a two different com- you know, companies, you know. No Inoki, no Choshu, no Fujinami. All the, the only thing that's, a com- that's in common is the New Japan logo. Yeah. Right. You know, the, and Lion and the King of Sports. You know that that logo is still there, but it's not Antonio Inoki's New Japan. It's not Fujinami's or it's not Ricky Choshu. You know, it's the same New Japan, but completely different era now. And I think that the crowds are different. Today's New Japan fan only follow New Japan Pro Wrestling seriously, much like your WWE universe. So it's a different era now. See, um, Leon White, when he died, you know, you know, a few days ago, he was already 63, you know, uh, it was yesterday's superstar, you know, but the uh, last place he worked was Pro Wrestling Noah. But actually, he did come back and work for Hustle and also had a little bit of tour with Keiji Muto's version of All Japan in 2004, and he came back and did the Vader Time show, you know, independent show run by different people, but uh, it was a show designed for Vader. It's called Vader Time. He came back a few times. And last year, one year ago, last year, April, Fujinami's tradition show, you know, they had Vader for for the last time, you know, and he worked in the ring. Yeah. So, uh, so, so that was so had a very interesting, you know, that uh, distinctive, you know, career in Japan, right? So, Legend. where do you put him on uh, Japanese legends? Where you put him with, uh, you know, the gaijins, the foreigners who have come into Japan? Yeah, we talk about it. I know we talk about this thing a lot, but uh, you, you can't compare 1970s superstar with 1980s superstar, 1990s superstar, or today's superstar. You know, today's fans' eyes, you know, I'm sure Kenny Omega is bigger star than Vader, you know? Right. But for but the older fan, yeah? Historically, though, you know, historically, you, um, you know, Kenny Omega's career isn't done yet. Right. I'm just, I mean, you know, certainly he could be, but it's not done. Yeah, but, you know, the fans are different too. You know, the 50-year-old fan, 60-year-old fan, or 25-year-old fan to your high school wrestling fan. They, what they're watching is what they're watching, you know? Right. So it's hard to say, you know, was, okay, let's say, Kazuchika Okada or, you know, or, or, or Shinsuke Nakamura, is he bigger than Antonio Inoki, we could argue this all night long and we never have a conclusion. Well, you know? um, where would you rank him? Um, I would say um, he was rightfully so every bit as big as Stan Hansen or Brody, but I, I'll put him in a different era. You know what I'm saying? And also, we only we could only you know like imagine you know, the matches that never took place. 
you know, there was no single match Bruce Brody against Vader in Japan, you know, or there was no Tanahashi against Vader or something like that, you know, so it's really hard, you know, there was no Jumbo Tsuruda against Vader, there was Ricky Choshu against Vader, there was Fujinami against Vader, there was, you know, um, Misawa, Kobashi, so, or Vader had single match program with Muto, Chono, Hashimoto. So he pretty much had every important single match in Japan. So that's very important because he worked both New Japan and Old Japan and Pro Wrestling Noah or places like UWFI. So he pretty much worked all the important companies on top. That's important, you know? Yeah. Not too many wrestlers had worked both New Japan and Old Japan. Brody did that. Stan Hansen did that. The Funks didn't. You know, Abdul the Butcher did that, but very short period of time, you know. So it's really hard to compare. But uh, one of the top three in, uh, in Japan, probably. It was so, so hard because if you place Vader as a top three, American ever worked, then you have to place him above people, you know, above funks. I wouldn't do that, you know. Yeah, it's hard. But uh, Hanson, Brody, then Vader, probably. How's that? Yeah, then right. we have to talk, yeah, then we have to talk about people like Carl Gotch or Billy Robinson or, you know, uh, all the other important people. So it's really hard who be the top in the top 10. You yeah. Know? And I think, I think for yeah. those listening who are newer fans, I think, you know, I think it's going to take a little bit more time to decide where Kenny Omega fits into everything. Sure. I mean, you don't know how his reign or is going to ten, be. Or 10 years from now. Yeah. You, you, know? you know, a lot yeah. of times we've seen big stars and, you know, they're completely forgotten. And I don't think that's going to happen with Kenny Omega, but you still have to stand the, the test of time with, with Kenny Omega mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or any or anybody else in any really line of work. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's say, you know, because you cannot compare Star Wars movie to your Rocky movie or, I mean, a different genre of different movie or different era, you know. You cannot mix that, you know. Or you can even compare your French cuisine to your Italian cuisine to, you know, it's all different, right? Right. Yeah. Or rock and roll music to classic music or country music or or rap or something like that. So it's just so hard, you know. But still, Leon White Vader was one of the biggest stars in Japan or pretty much big, one of the biggest stars in modern era. Now, both America and Japan. One of the things I was curious about, having worked for both Anoki and Baba, sometimes you have people who, you know, for example, Brody kind of said that he regretted kind of working for Anoki because Baba and Anoki, you know, are two different people and do business in two different ways. Did did Vader um, have or ever have any issues with one versus the other working for both? Yeah, but, uh, you know, you cannot forget that. It, the, what Brody said about the, those things was the, the business outside ring. Yeah. You know, he was, Brody was not sorry about what he's done in the ring against Inoki. He was really happy about that. Right. That's And that's what I mean. Did, did he have any uh, issues uh, working with All Japan versus New Japan? 
And Vader works well with both companies, you know, and also he was relevant, you know, that uh, he could work against Inoki, older, or Fujinami Choshu, or a generation younger, like Muto and Chono and Hashimoto, Kensuke Sasaki, Hiroshi Hase, then moved to Takada, completely different style, he could still work. Or American wrestler who had Japanese influence, like Gary Albright, who could do UWF style, but American, um, Leon took care of him in the ring. And now, went to New or Japan, and he had a program against people like Misawa and Kobashi and Kawada, or even against Stan again. And just he was able to work. Now, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels complained about working with Vader, and Sting was injured at times, and had he's talked yeah. about in interviews how he had to kind of get Vader to work a more Americanized style. That you know, he was going to be there for Vader every time he did something. He was going to sell or go up, so Vader didn't need to work that stiffer style what was did vader have any sort of reputation in in japan as being stiff or that's uh -uh. just the way everybody worked well japanese wrestlers don't complain that way you know? <laughs> that's true too yes yeah yeah so and also there was no language barrier you speak in the ring you know what i'm saying so vader was good that way you know so they did not speak the same language but when you were in the ring what Vader was saying about Fujinami, they can work like they, you know, like Fujinami and Vader can dance. So easy, something like that, you know. And probably all in all, um, Vader's favorite opponent all time of all time was Fujinami, and he ended up working for Fujinami for the, his final tour in Japan. Concluded. Yeah. Yeah, and then he last year when he was here, there was a you know already, already had the had the you know story was out. The doctor told him he only already had two years to live, you know, and it was on Twitter's and everything, and people read about it. And right, wow, Vera has two only two years or so to live, and actually it became true, you know, yeah. what doctor yeah what doctor told him two years ago, he really had only two years, you know. And uh, yeah, and the one thing I was gonna say before I forget, yeah, there was something important. <sighs> yeah, slipping my mind. Okay. Uh, well, while you're thinking of it, real quick, so we're not we're not over the show, <laughs> so don't don't fast forward okay. yet. But I do go ahead and think about it. But I wanted to mention, I think next week we're gonna do a show on uh, Adrian Adonis. Because uh, yes, yes. it's going to be the 30th anniversary of his death, the week of July yeah. 4th. Yeah, and yeah. also... Um, we got to do have, a show on Brody? We got to we, we do... Well, we can do another show on Brody, yeah, we, where you talk about yeah. Brody. We can do that. Yeah. And we have yeah. uh, some T-shirts to give away. So okay. uh, so stand by and, for, uh, for that. We'll do that. Uh, we'll, we'll, tell, right, we'll, tell huh? you how, we'll tell you how next week. How to win some yeah, uh, yeah. some of the cool shirts that we made with uh, Boldecano on them, the Pacific Rim okay. Pro Wrestling Podcast T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, and also we got to talk about you know Io Shirai going to WWE. Yeah. And also Meiko Satomura will be part of the second annual um, May Young Great May Young. Um, the May Young Classic. 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 Yeah, does that surprise yeah, you? Uh not no, not really, because. They will be bringing a lot of wrestlers, a lot of women's wrestling from all, from all over the world, from two, 12 different countries, I, they say. You know, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Italy, you know, England, all kinds of different wrestlers, you know. 
And uh, yeah, uh, it would be a great chance to showcase Meiko Satomura's wrestling. You know, he, she's very special, very special. And also, uh, after the Great Mei Young Tournament, Io Shirai will be your regular. I'm sure she'll be starting with NXT, or maybe maybe you know that the they'll put uh, put Io Shirai and uh, you know that uh, uh, Kairi Sane, you know. Um, uh, as a tag team or something too, you know, but uh, pretty soon that uh, Kairi Sane will go go up to your main roster too, right? So yeah, yeah it's it's you know it's this is such an interesting time where you have so many performers from Japan and none of them, you know, they just have their own identity as opposed to being you know, the sneaky Japanese heel or stereotype, you know, the stereotype or the, you know, the, the childlike good guy who, you know, doesn't understand American culture. Um, right, right. You know, that's kind of refreshing. That's a, that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. But uh, Shinsuke Nakamura's, you know, is somewhat stereotyped now though. But know, I, I feel like he's, do, but he feels like he's doing it on purpose because he's, mm-hmm, you know, he's mm-hmm. tweaking people. He's being a heel. Right, right. You, know, you kind right. of know that he's not that way, but he's doing it just to be difficult. No, I don't think this program is over yet. You know that the program with AJ Styles. Yeah, for the next pay per view, the ext- you know Extreme Rules for the the title match will be AJ Styles against Rusev. You know, for, for next time. But uh, I don't think that the program with AJ Styles and Nakamura is over yet. I don't think. They've booked it so. I don't know. It just it. I was really looking forward to it when they put them together, and even after the heel turn at WrestleMania. But now, yeah, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm just not that. I don't know. They it kind Excited? of it's kind of burned me out a little bit. Yeah, I'd like to see them either. Mm. I don't know. I want because they do so much. Yeah, they do so much, and it's just I don't know. The booking is. Just but the last good. last man standing will not be your final program. You don't you think know? so? Uh uh-uh, uh uh. Uh-uh. They have something special, you know, again, you know, not the last man standing because it's not, it was, the finish was not in the ring, you know, they will not close the program that way, I don't think. What about um, Kenny Omega's victory? How has that resonated in Japan? Oh, it's good. That's like, like being Gaijin and Canadian guy, it's nothing is nationalist or racist kind of thing. It's, it's good that good wrestler will have the belt, you know? When you realize, maybe like a lot of people really too deep into it, it's for the American market purpose that the, every single championship belt for New Japan is held by a foreigner now. But uh, just be it, you know? That uh, Okada Kenny Omega program isn't over yet, you know? And, what do you uh, think? Right now, it seems like Okada is doing, when he's in the ring for intros and stuff, I've seen, you know, he's acting like depressed, like sad, like lost, um, which yeah. is which is interesting. I'm, I'm, I find that to be very compelling. Uh, what are your thoughts, mm, mm. just uh, initial thoughts, um, uh, as we head into the end of the G1? You think Naito? Do mm. you think Okada? What do you think? Um, Okada. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, Okada. Yeah, Naito for some reason will not win, huh? <laughs> but I'm I'm not very good at guessing on this. You know, G1 tournament every year I lose. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
yeah, like a bunch of friends, you know, Japanese fans or Japanese journalists, and they always bet, make a bet, you know, like who's gonna be put over for this year's G1 tournament, you know, and uh, oh, every one of us is always wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Seriously. true. Yeah, it's because we, we try to read, read too deep into it and I ended up being wrong. <laughs> so I'm not so proud of this one. Yeah. What about uh, Asuka? Do you think that um, is she going to be just sort of a supporting player and not the champion? Ooh. She will have champion run, I think. You know, yeah. Okay. Now for, yeah, but the period of time, because how many times did Randy Orton have titles, you know? How many times other guys had titles? Or even people like The Miz, Jeff Hardy, or even Dolph Ziggler, they all had world titles. So I'm pretty sure when the time is right, both Asuka and Shinsuke Nakamura will have short or long but the, uh, they will have title uh, champion run for sure. I'm I'm not, not sure, but uh, I think so. So, uh, any other thoughts on uh, Vader or anything else happening in wrestling? <laughs> you were asking me things, so I forgot what it was. Oh, but, okay, uh, sorry, it's all my fault. It, it will come back. It okay. will come back, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. next week we'll talk about uh, Adrian Adonis. We'll cover yeah. some other topics and also tell you how you can win a uh, Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling t-shirt with our logo with uh, Bull Nakano on it. And uh, okay. we'll, send those yeah, very out. So good. we'll do, we'll yeah. do some uh, giveaways. Where can people find you on social? Um, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O on Twitter and Fumi Saito on Facebook. Please find me. And you could also uh, hashtag Ask Fumi. It will do some uh, questions as well in the near future. Yeah, because next week, though, see, when we talk about Adrian Adani, see, um, Adrian's, you know, the, a lot of people remember him with this gay act. Right. You know, the dyed blonde hair and kind of heavy set and, uh, you know, not so positive, right? But once upon a time, he was one of the most talented wrestlers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he had his run in Japan. And, uh, yeah, it, we should, you know, go back and capture Adrian's best moments. Well, and you, know? you knew Adrian. Yeah, yeah. I went to Bakersfield, his house, and um, I uh, spent weekend with him one, once upon a time. And he had a red Corvette. Uh, he was driving 80 miles an hour on the desert, <laughs> you know, and then... Uh, he was a cool guy. All right. So we'll do Adrian Adonis next week. You can follow me on uh, Twitter <laughs> at Jim Valley. And also uh, be sure to share this show and let people know about the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast. So until next time. So long from Japan. Thank you very much.